just want to read this out of Colossians before we get into Ephesians. This is Colossians 3, verse 1. It says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. Who's been raised up? Okay, well, this is for all of us. So if you, and you're telling me you've been raised with Christ, then keep seeking the things above. So you've all said you've been raised up with Christ. Then the instruction from Christ is to keep seeking the things above where he is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So where are your minds set? How much time do we spend with our minds looking on earthly things and the things that consume our lives, work, relationships, pleasures, sport? Because we're instructed to not look at the earth, but to look above. Why? Because who's seated in above? Christ. So if all the hidden treasures and the mysteries of the knowledge of God are contained in the Christ, you can see why you'd want to set your mind on the things above, yes? And we have to be unanchored from the earth because we all start anchored to the earth and the earth's ways. And if you're not unanchored, then you'll just have your head permanently down looking down. I don't know about you, but there's not too much hope in looking at the things of the earth. There's not too much hope in looking inwardly to try and find life and hope, is there? Because why? Because we're all dead. <laughs> There's no hope in a dead person. They're dead. So the Bible says that we're all dead and dead to our old life and alive to our new life. And our new life is contained in Christ. And so he is the eternal life. And 2 Corinthians 4, 4, 16 to 18 talks about that we don't look at the things which are seen, which is the temporal realm. We look at things not seen. So how many of you are seeing things that are not seen? Warren is. Amen, brother. And you partake of the scene that's not seen, but it's seen because it's in the eternal, because the eternal is Christ. And in Christ is all the answers to life. So we don't look at the temple or the earthly for the answers. We look at the things that are unseen while we're here on the earth because his kingdom is right there. So there are two kingdoms on this earth and his kingdom's right there alongside this temporal kingdom. But where are you getting your food from? And this is essential because especially in what we're looking at in Ephesians is that, and I said this before, if we're not seeing what is contained in the eternal out of the entire Bible, you're not seeing it all. So you're coming up with your own version of him. You have to be able to see in the eternal. You have to be able to see the invisible. <laughs> and you can't see it without him, can you? But that's the place we're to be living from. We're supposed to be seeing things that no one else is seeing and then telling the world about them. 
Let me tell you about a man that I met. What's his name? Jesus. Oh, I haven't seen him. Yeah, I have. Because I see in this unseen, seen realm. It's called the kingdom of God. And as I set my mind on the things above, the Holy Spirit starts to show me why, because I'm setting my mind on the things above. So you have to make an active choice. Seek first this eternal realm. It's not eternity. I was having this chat with Danielle. She said, I'm struggling to get this eternal eternity thing. It's not eternity. It's now. It's this kingdom now. So I see, okay, we've got about 15,000 people. We've got two loaves and three, five fish. We're all good. See? Because I'm seeing in the eternal. I know that in the eternal is going to meet that need. But if I purely am looking at the temporal and seeing 15,000 people coming and I've only got some fish and loaves, we're in trouble. I'm going to send people away. So in relation to Ephesians, what are you seeing? See, it's pointless to go through six chapters and go, what did you see? And you go, I don't know. I don't know. There was this cool message about this, and there was this cool message about But ultimately, nothing's different. I, I couldn't tell you. So at the end of this, my hope would be you'd actually be able to share with every, one another what you're seeing that's in the unseen. That's how you know whether you're hearing what's being declared. You have a true testimony to share about the unseen realm, but it's very seen to you. Does that make sense? Are we tracking? It's powerful, eh? And this is what the entire message is about. It's not just a book, but seeing the eternal. Because God says you don't look in the natural sight, you see by faith, which is spiritual sight. And because you're seeing it, you can partake of it. So where are you getting your food from that you eat and drink that changes you, that has you now living for what, what we're talking about? So last week, Sam talked about imitating God. Has anyone gone away last week and sort of went, what? That you and I are called to imitate God. See why you need to see in the unseen? Because if you're not, that's impossible. But it's fully possible in him. So imitate God. And then there's also in Colossians, Paul says, imitate us and imitate God. That's a bold statement. It's one thing when you put imitate God first, but then Paul says, imitate us. Oh, by the way, and that guy called God. This is the oneness that these men and women had. And it, obviously they had it because it's God's Bible, it's his word, and he let it be written. So it's a true account of a reality that was, because it's in the word and it's inspired by the Spirit. So the Spirit is the author of the book. He let it be written. It's a done deal. So when he says imitate us, and by the way, imitate God, it's a reality. They're in something so extravagant called the word that they're able to demonstrate something on the earth that not only earth, but the heavenly realm looks at and can't quite figure it out. And that same invitation is for us. That's pretty big. Are you up for it, though? See, one of the things he's been talking to me about this week is before the foundations of the world, 
your name was written in the book of life. Remember two weeks ago I said that all his works were finished before the foundation of the world? So he's adding on this picture. So check this one. Before the foundations of the world, your name was written in the book of life. Done. Sealed. Before you were born. Before you had a chance to sin. You were created for a promise. If you knew that, and I mean really knew that, what would your life look like tonight? If the Holy Spirit revealed that to you right now, I mean through the power of revelation, that you knew, that you knew, that you knew, you knew, you knew, that before you were even born, your name was written in the book of life, how would that affect your life? You talk about identity. You'd never struggle with it. You wouldn't struggle with anything. Why? Because you know your name is written in the book of life before you ever breathe one bit of breath. Before you had a chance to stuff it all up, he saw you, and so he's trying to build you in alignment to his word. It's like catch up. Catch up to who you already are. Isn't it? It says, I've written it all before it even began. I did it all in what? This unseen realm called the eternal. Then I breathed life and it came from the eternal into the temporal. I said, let there be light. There was light before I said, let there be light. And I breathed and light came. Because it got activated in the unseen realm because it was finished. And I just breathed my breath, the spirit, and it activated something and the world began. But it was already finished before it even started. So he knows who's his. He knows who'll be his bride. And you're invited to be, become it, live it. There's no loss in that. If we can receive that in our spirit, it builds so much confidence. You haven't got time to be worried about yourself. <laughs> you haven't got time to be worried about lack. You haven't got time to worry about tomorrow. You haven't got time to worry. All you'll be doing is flowing in who you are in Christ. Because you've got to realize, oh my God, I'm catching up on who actually you say I am before I even started the race. And I'm discovering things about my life that I didn't even know were. Because I'm coming into an alignment of the life that I've been called to find and live from. Not only as an individual, but as the church. I've connected the dots. I've connected my line and his line, and they now merged into one. And now my line becomes his line. His line is now my line. Which means the life he has for me, which already was before the foundations of the earth. Are we grasping this intellectually at least? that you would then want to go seek the revelation of that and knock on heaven's door till that became a boom-boom, a boom-boom, a boom-boom, a boom a reality here. Because it would radically shift the way we think, the decisions we make, the priorities we make, the issues we struggle with no longer, and we would be flying at 100 miles an hour towards the end because you already know it's mapped out. See, the challenge for us is to discover who he says we already are. And what is firmly written in blood. <clears throat> so you said this to me the other week, Greg, everyone is the bride, but not everyone's going to marry me. But you are all the bride, but it's faithful, obedient bride that will marry me. 
You're all sons. You're all the church. You're all the bride. But I'm looking for a faithful, obedient bride, not one who's living for herself. I'm looking for one who actually discovers who she already is and starts to align her life to that life that I've called her for. Not one who's asking me to bless her life and add me onto her life. I want her to lose her life and completely enter into my life and the life I have for her that was finished before the foundation of the earth. See, I've chosen you all to be holy and blameless before the foundation of the world. By the will of God, yeah? Can you see why it's vital we actually understand what we're talking about in Ephesians? Because Ephesians is one of the books that really is the macro plan of God for the church. Can you see how it's connected? Imitate me. I'm looking for my equal. I'm looking for a people that reflect me. Imitate me. Imitate God. Paul's saying imitate me as I imitate Christ. Then he says, imitate God. See, there's an imitation, there's a oneness that God's looking for from his people. So let's just go to Ephesians 5. I'm just going to continue on from where Sam finished. And we're going to look at our behavior and how important that is. And then we're going to look at not being deceived by empty words. So Ephesians 5. Verse 1, therefore be imitators of God, not emulators. Who liked Sam's word last week? Powerful difference between the two. And we must be imitators of God as beloved children. Okay? So therefore be imitators of God <coughs> Excuse me, as beloved children. So you're a child of God, yes? So as a child of God, be an imitator of God and walk in love. That word love is agape. Work in a love that's, walk in a love that's patient, kind, gentle, is not jealous, holds no wrongs, bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. Walk in that. Why? Because you're an imitator of me. See, if we're truly imitating God, we're able to, aren't we? Not because of our ability, but because of the word that we're eating in the eternal, the unseen. This is why it is essential that we are eating and drinking daily him. I ask people, how much time are you spending with him? Results are scary. And we wonder why our lives look the way they do. If I eat McDonald's all the time, I'm going to get bigger. You will see the evidence of eating high-fat food, won't you, over time. The shirts will get tighter, the bulges will get bit bigger, and it, it'll be what it'll be. Well, spiritually, if we're not partaking of Christ and drinking of Christ, why do we expect to have life? He says, unless you eat of me and drink of me, you have no life in you. So if we're not eating and drinking, why are we expecting life? 
Why do we just keep praying these prayers? Oh, Lord, come and do this work. He's going, I wish you'd start eating, and I wish you'd start drinking, and I wish you'd actually start putting the things in place that I'm asking for. Then maybe something might actually happen. But we just want to zap. Most people just want to zap and do no work. And it's the culture of today. You know, it's like, I want this and I want it now. So I can dial it up and it's now. It's instant. He's like, no, no, that's not the way I work. So he's telling us to walk in love, to walk in the manner in which he walked. Agape love. There's no excuses. There's not going to be enough. You're not going to have any excuses here at the judgment seat. He's going to say, you had it all. You had everything you needed to do this. I'm not a liar. I put it in place. I sent my son. I, the power that's in the son, the blessing in the son, it was right in front of you. You didn't partake. For whatever reason, you didn't partake. So he's telling us and he's saying, walk in love because you're a child of mine, just as Christ also loved you. So the love that he loves you, love others with that love. And it's fully possible if we are eating and drinking the eternal word. And gave himself up for us. So just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. I'll read it in, in fully. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. And as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So there's the invitation. Through eating and reading what he's trying to say here, we're able to live. We're able to be the demonstration of God. We're able to go, I can do that. Through Christ who strengthens me. I find myself being able to love with this love that's patient and kind. Not holding wrongs when I'm offended. I'm bearing all things. I believe it. Why? Because you can see what it's all for. So you see why you love because you can see the purpose of love. And what the purpose of love is trying to do is trying to prepare a bride. Prepare a church. So you see because you're seeing in the unseen because he's brought you into this realm. And not only can you see it, but now you can live in accordance to it because it's in you. It being him. So it's this duality thing of this position of one just operating through you. And you find yourself being the lay your life down as a fragrant aroma and as a sacrifice for others. One John 3.16 says, you'll know them by the way they love one another and lay their lives down for one another. How much of our time is spent thinking about the people around you? How much of your time is consumed with living for others to the macro plan of God that other people would actually benefit from your life? So, you know, when you come here and when you're in your groups, how much of you actually think, I'm not here for me, I'm here for others? And if I'm not here, others are going to miss out because I've got a part to bring. Compared to just, I just turn up for services and hear some messages. And, right now, and we have a good laugh and we have a good some cups of coffee and nice chit-chats and all that. But life just sort of continues as normal. And that's not 
Christianity, it's like the people that we read about, they were one in an alignment to a macro plan that they could see because they partook of the eternal. And they spent the time to write it that you and I would see it and eat it and live for it and start truly living more and more as a family of God where we care more for others than we do ourselves. What does he say about Timothy? I hardly have anybody like this, Paul said, who genuinely is concerned concerned for your interests. Paul knew a lot of people, and he said, there's only really one person that I know that actually lives the life. He said, the Bible says, many are called, but few choose the narrow. Many find the wide. But very few choose the narrow because it looks like it's going to squish. But actually it brings life. And so there's this imitate us. I'm really, really looking for people that are able to do this. That's what he's saying. And they did and they were. And the invitation has gone out throughout the centuries. And we are to be this fragrant aroma. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, talks about triumph in Christ and how through the triumph of the life we've come into, there's an aroma that's given off, that we give off an aroma that other people smell. Some love it, some hate it. Depending on where they're at, not where we're at, they're at, they will either love it or hate you. Then it goes on in verse 3 and it says, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. That's another name he gives the church, saints. Do you realize you're a saint? Not like St. Nicholas or St. Paul or St. Barnabas or whoever. The people of God. 1 Corinthians 6 says, do you not know that you are going to judge the world? Who? The saints. Who are they? You. Really? Talk about an identity crisis. Yeah, it's you. No, not me. Yeah, no, it's you. No, it's not me. Might be Kirk. No, no, it's you. No, no, it's not me. No, no, it's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. No, 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 I don't believe that. So he's saying, you see, immorality, impurity, greed must not even be named among you. Why? Because, guys, we're the bride. We're to be like him. Was impurity named among him? No. Was there immorality? No. See, he's building us into the image of himself. These things will destroy us, won't they? These things will prevent us living the life that we've been called for, a life worthy of the calling. Make sure you live a life worthy of the calling. What calling? His. What's his calling? Well, we've been looking at it for three months. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, who for? Saints. I've added that. But that's what he's referring it to. This is not fitting for those saints of God. 
but rather giving of thanks. Verse 5. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. To be in awe and wonder of who we've been called to be brings a reference to how to live. But if we can't see this, it's all just a bit casual. And then God becomes casual in your eyes, and all of a sudden you've minimized this God down who is also powerful just to sort of my buddy. And yes, he loves me, but you know, it's the lion and the lamb, the lamb and the lion. And the lion comes and says, I've come to divide. I've come to separate families. I've come to cut. I've come to build. I've come to, you know, this isn't good enough. I'm going to lift up tables. I'm going to upset a whole lot of people from love for the purposes of my father will be established. And so he, in love, asked us to be careful of these areas in our lives that can cause us to not fulfill who we've been called to be before the foundations of the world. Because your choices can get in the way of you ever receiving the fullness of the inheritance. Because the lives we live, we really didn't know the race we were in, so we just survived this life. And it was good, and we saw some things, but we never end up at the place we're supposed to. Why? Because ultimately I was living in the temple, and my mind was set on the earth. And what I've been taught in the past, and and there's so much of the stuff has been taught. And so we've all been consumed with stuff which he actually addresses. He talks about being empty words. And let no one deceive you with empty words. Words that sound good and feel the flesh, but they're empty of power. They don't do anything apart from puff you up or mislead you into a false reality. And God's been undoing our un for nine years and trying to bring us into this greater measure of life in him that enables us to demonstrate him. Because that's the purpose of the whole thing, isn't it? I build a people who can demonstrate me on the earth. But you can't do it in your own ability. That's good news. So he says, saints, don't get caught up in these things because it's not fitting for you. Then he says here in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible 
is light. And someone else next week will go into verse 14 and talks about a wake sleeper and a rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. So he's referring to other people because they're in this life. So Paul and these people he knows, they're in this life. And he's saying there are these other people. We used to be part of these other people. Formerly we're in darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Do you know who you are? Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. Come with me to 1 Corinthians 4. How many people know there's a lot of teaching in the body of Christ? How many people know you can go different places and hear completely different things that contradict what other people are saying? How many people know there's only one Jesus with one truth? But somehow we've, I don't know, we've dissected him to the point where we've got a whole lot of different beliefs of who Jesus is, what's available still today, what's not available some Christians don't even believe that the gifts exist. Some don't even believe the Holy Spirit exists. Some people don't believe you need to be baptized. Some people don't believe in heaven and hell. There's such a mishmash of stuff. You've got people that say homosexuality is fine, haven't we? <clears throat> That's good, but it's not enough. Good man. Good. Here we go. Look at this. So 1 Corinthians 4.18. And Paul has just given his resume of what it means to be a follower and a father of the faith. And then actually you'll see, look, in verse 16, he says, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. So he's just given, have a look at when you get home of the way in which we're to live. Because then he says, Imitate this way. It's a tall order. Then he says, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. My ways which are where? In Christ. See, if you're in Christ, no one can deceive you. Because you're in Christ. You'll discern the empty words when someone comes with empty words that are not of Christ because you're in Christ, you'll know that's not from the father, my father of truth. That's either their vivid imagination of who Jesus is or it's a lie. But if you're in Christ and growing in Christ, you know what's of Christ. Okay. So I remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Here we go, verse 18. Now some have become arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. Ooh. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. And that's a kingdom of joy, peace, righteousness in the Holy Spirit, isn't it? It's not a kingdom built around persuasive argument. It's not, a, it's not a kingdom built around someone's ability to articulate words on a page. It's built on power and God's power to transform a human being 
that that human being can now imitate Christ. That's what the kingdom's about. But we've made it about understanding words on a page. And the fancier we can speak with eloquence the words on a page, we get captivated by it in our minds. And we think, because I understand a concept, then I have the word. I just can't live it. See, the measuring stick is, can you imitate me? Because that's the invitation. That's when you know you're in the word. It's not about, I've heard this, I, I know people create their own realities because they're in fear of that. So people even say, oh, yeah, I'm in that, or I'm in that, or I'm in that, because they run the fear of actually feeling outside of something. Instead of just going, I ain't in that, and that's okay, because my father loves me. I don't have to make it up. See, if we make it up, then you're avoiding the process, which means you're going to never come into life because you continually make up and say you are, but you can't imitate him. Because it's empty words. And you've even taught yourself, and it's okay, it's okay. No, no, just relax. He loves you. And just ask, seek, and knock. But I know sometimes because we're so competitive and we live in fear, and I believe and pray that was broken off a lot of people this morning, that we can just go, it's okay. Because it's not a competition, and I'm not comparing myself. It's about a journey of discovery of who my father is and who I am in my father before the foundations of the world I am. So let's just relax, rest, and start seeking. And then honoring one another, not being in fear of one another, who may be in a greater depth than me, who God has sent to help me come into that depth. Sounds like a great plan when we do it the Father's way and not be fear of one another and find each other competitive or an us and a them. It's just an us. And I just want to read you some of these scriptures because these are powerful. I love it. No one deceive you with empty words. And he's saying it's not about words, it's about power. Um, come with me to 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4. And so see, this is Paul, and he, he's so honest and vulnerable. He says, my message, 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. I know people that chase people around and go to places, teachers or preachers, whatever, because they just love the words. They seem to be articulate the, the Scriptures really well. Great. I hope it's coming from the right place, and I hope it's him, and I hope it's full of power. Otherwise, it's futile words. And so he's saying, I'm not a man that comes with this well-articulated message. He said, I'm so unskilled compared to others, but what I have is knowledge. And it's not about the way I say it, it's just what I say. And if you can hear what I say, not the way I say it, through the power of the Holy Spirit and receive it, then that's the eternal mana entering into your spirit, which is going to build you, which will enable you to imitate God and love like God, because that's the invitation of Ephesians 5, wasn't it? Let's have a look at another one. Oh, no, he goes on, listen, it says, Yet we do speak wisdom 
among those who are mature. This is in 6. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's word in a mystery. See, this way it's not about words, but it's about hearing the word. Can you hear the word that's being communicated tonight? Through English words. Through the power of your spirit to hit your spirit. And if you can't, that's fine. But are you going to go away and start asking, seeking, knocking for what's being spoken? And you're going to chew on it and chew on it and listen and hear and hear and hear and hear until it drops. This is the level of pursuit that's required to come into a life where you can imitate God. Any less than that won't cut it. Because he's looking. He's looking. And unfortunately today, so much in the body, we're so casual. We don't get it within the first five minutes. Off to the next thing. It requires your primary pursuit needs to be him above anything else. If you really want this life, a lot of things will need to shift in our lives. Priorities, choices, time, I mean, whatever it takes needs to be moved. And I'm after you and you alone, and he reorders everything else. And all of a sudden, you come into this life, and it's in you, and you're able to live beyond and above earth. It's amazing. Choices you make. The way you think. And then the life that you continue to come into through that reality is incredible. It truly sets you apart unto him. And this is what we've all been invited to, but it won't come with empty words. And he's saying, make sure some flash Harry doesn't come and deceive you with great words. Come with me to uh, I've written all on the side of my book. <laughs> Two Corinthians eleven, four to six. He puts them in all the books so we'll actually see the picture. Two Corinthians eleven, four to six. Now this is just after Paul is warning the Corinthians that he's afraid that they've been deceived from the simplicity and the purity of a devotion to Christ. Remember, where is Jesus right now? Right. And where are we to be putting our minds? Setting your minds above where Christ is seated. Why? Because you're looking at Christ, aren't you? So you don't take your eyes off Christ, Hebrews. So it's not really about looking to eternity. It's looking at the sun and everything that's in the sun. He's saying, I'm afraid you've been deceived from what's in the sun and you're looking for stuff outside of Jesus. Why are you looking for life outside of Jesus when it's in Jesus? Because we think we got Jesus. So there must be more to Jesus. No, it's in Jesus. But I know Jesus. Well, you don't know him enough. Everything is contained in the sun. This is what this tells me. Everything has come through him. Nothing exists apart from him. See, but we think, oh, we prayed a prayer, I've got Jesus. I go, no, you haven't. 
Jesus is unlimited. So every answer is Jesus. It's too simple, eh? Greg, you don't understand. Yeah, I do. You don't understand. No, no, you don't understand. I know, I understand. It's Jesus. He is the answer to everything. Sounds so simple, we go, no, that's not it. It is. We can have this argument all night. (laughs) Or discussion. So he says this. I'm afraid you've been led astray, for if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. If one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. You receive it, believe it, accept it, but it's not the Jesus we preach. What's that going to do? It's going to deceive you. It's going to mislead you. Matthew says, many are going to come in my name and say that he is the Christ. Not the person coming is going to think they're Jesus. So many, like me, are going to come and say, yes, he is Jesus, and then I'm going to mislead you. We're not talking about non-Christians. We're talking about the church who unintentionally come with empty words or their version of Christ, teach it, everyone buys into it. Come on then, let's imitate Jesus if it's the truth. Why can't we imitate Jesus if it's the truth? Because the truth will set you free and build you if it's the truth. Because it's man's version of Jesus, which is empty words, which gets pummeled out into the airways, which we all receive and go, that must be Jesus, then live it. Because that's where it's going. Live it. What? No, I'll just tell you about it. No, live it. Hey, Vera, just live it. I'm not interested in what you know. I'm interested in what you can live then I know you're in the truth because man can come with persuasive words and deceive the lot of you thinking you're into something because it builds the ego up. But until you can live it, you're just covered by it. And this is the challenge for us, and this is what Paul is saying, because another gospel, different Jesus, is not the boogeyman. It's a slightly tweak on the truth. So it sounds like Jesus. That sounds, they preach the same stuff. Yeah, but it ain't the word. I know, but it's the words. I know, but it's not the word. That's how you get all the different understandings in the body. But they read from the same book. I know, but it's not the word. It's my version of what's down here. See, if I can't see as the Father sees, I'm going to pump out my version of what I think it says. And that is pointless and empty words that will deceive you all into a false life And it doesn't build the church. So one who's speaking must have been with the Father, received a living word from the Father, must be able to see in the eternal, and from the eternal bring that into the temporal, and in utter words, not in persuasive words, but just the words he gives to speak. And then he takes over and says, well done, son or daughter, for speaking those words. Now I build my church. I said to Danielle, I said, she was so worried about saying it right. And I said, honey, I said, it's got nothing to do with how you say it. It's the fact that you're getting up there and you're going to just 
say the words he's given you and then he's taking over. She's had so much feedback. I said, yeah, because he does the church. He asked you to speak on that. It's not how. You don't have to be flash. You don't have to be fancy. You don't have to be like Joyce Meyer or anyone else. Just be you and open your mouth and he'll take over. And that's what happens, isn't it? And I'm so grateful here that he's not building a family based on performance, but he's building a family based on himself. And so it's not about, but we can be allured in by persuasive words. Paul goes on, he says this, For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. Okay, I consider myself not in the least inferior But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. He was not in fear of man. He didn't have an issue if he didn't say it right, look right, speak right, because he knew he was in the knowledge of Jesus that he could live a reality that they couldn't. That's what qualifies you. And is qualifying us is the ability to demonstrate. Wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Okay. Um, one other scripture, and then we'll call it. Ephesians. I'm going the wrong way. Colossians two verses four and eight. I'm lied. I'm going to give you two more. <laughs> Colossians 2, verses 4. So, once again, just before this, he's saying that Riyadh have been preaching that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Okay? I say this so no one will delude you with persuasive argument. See, he's saying all the knowledge is in the Son. So if you know the sun and are coming into more of the sun, no one can come along with deceptive words and hoodwink you because it's in the sun. Can you see why we need to know the sun and know more of the sun and be getting revelation after revelation after revelation after revelation? It never ends. You never arrive. It's an ongoing revelation of the sun, the eternal. He is the eternal. I see him. I receive from him. I'm living from and in the eternal, not the temporal. So he's saying, I say this and no one will delude you with persuasive argument. You come down to verse 6. It says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you have received him, walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Do you want me to tell you what a fundamental flaw of the church is? God's primary purpose is lost people. We've done that, mate. I did that a while ago. <laughs> We're trying to get the plot back. <laughs> that is not the case. He loves lost people. 
Who saves lost people? As with the church over here, God. Who said he seeks and saves the lost? Right. So Jesus said, I seek and save the lost. What did he tell us to do? Love him. Yeah? He told us the greatest commandment is to love him and then through a process of love you'll go and actually reach some people who are disciples. They're not lost people. Go make disciples. What do you need to be a disciple? What do you need to have done? Don't you have to have denied yourself, pick up your cross and come follow him? So don't you have to have made a commitment? Right. So go into the world and reach disciples is not lost people. Because a lost person is denying themselves, picking up their cross and following him. He said, you can't come follow me unless you hate this person, hate that person, do this and do that. You have to have made a choice. So he says, go into the nations, New Zealand, and there are a lot of nations in New Zealand, and make disciples of Christians, those that have already made a commitment, while I'm reaching lost people. So my Bible, this Bible, his Bible, tells me that unless he is drawing someone, it's pointless. Before the foundations of the earth, he knows who's going to be. So unless he's drawing them in accordance to his macro plan, I could be wasting a whole lot of time, energy, resource, running around doing something that he's going, what are you doing, Dick? Now, I'm not saying that you don't have a heart for lost people. And I'm not saying that I don't have the ministry of reconciliation. What I am saying is that he does what he does and I do what I do. And we've confused those around to such a degree that how many of us can imitate God? And yet that's the first commandment. Because we're spending so much time trying to save a planet that's his job and we're not spending enough time eating, drinking of the eternal food which enables me to live a life which, by the way, reaches those people because when they look and they see the demonstration of love on the earth, they're drawn to that family and that people because they see it rather than a whole lot of people that say it who go out there and placard and do all these things but don't have love in them and they're more about those people that we're supposed to be loving and there's no substance within those people to live it. It's a fundamental flaw and a teaching that's robbing the church. And do you know who taught it up to nine years ago? Not intentionally. Thought I was doing the will of God. Until the Father shows you and reveals to you his ways. And the words are full of life and power, and I'm more in love with lost people than I I was before. But I've been reordered and realigned, and now you have something called Jesus in you more that they actually want if he's drawing them. And even that, it says, "Go go and make disciples of nations. It doesn't say go into nations and make disciples. Okay? It says, go and make disciples of nations, and there are nations in this country. See, we all think it's about going overseas. It's not what it says. Teaching them what? And what's the first thing he's commanded? So why do we go try to reach all these people that are lost to teach them to reach lost people, and that's not what it says. It says, I command you to teach them the commandments. 
And the first one is to love. Why? Because I'm reaching lost people. I'm drawing them to myself. You be ready in all seasons. You have so much life in you. So when I draw on across your path through your prayers, you'll have something worthy to give them. But see, if we're listening to other voices, well-meaning people, then they become empty, deceptive words. We think it sounds good because a lot of time it matches with our mind because understanding. So we go, oh, I understand that. I understand that. See, if your first place of understanding is your mind, you're in trouble. That's earthly. That's temporal. Jesus said, you understand where? In your heart. Your spirit is the place of understanding. Well, how do you do that? Great question. I sent this guy called the Holy Spirit to bring you into this truth. How well do you know him? What sort of relationship do you have? For he has been given to show you freely all the things in the kingdom. And the book of Ephesians is a mystery. And inside that book is the greatest mystery between Christ and the church called his bride. It's a mystery, which means I need the Holy Spirit as the decipher of the mystery of the code to help me see, not mentally understand, but see in my heart What's there? So then I live in accordance to what is there. Powerful, eh? One verse, and that's it. I'm done. Serious. Because this one is powerful. They're all powerful. Um, where did I write it? <laughs> I think I put it all in Ephesians 5. Yes, I do. It's 1 Timothy 1 6. Yeah, this is cool. 1 Timothy 1 verse 6. For some men straying from these things, which once again are just the things above, teachings, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. See, deception creates false confidence in stuff. But unless that truth is actually changing you, it's not the fullness of who he is. So he changes you. We sing that song, Love Changes Everything. You cannot know love and not be changed. It's impossible. So if we're not being changed, then we're not partaking of Christ. Partake of Christ, change. Not changing, not partaking. We're probably trying to grapple with this thing in an old filter. And you won't get any life from it. So we need to be seeing what's here. I hope from tonight... Every time I preach, my hope is you just seek him. It's not that you'd understand what I'm saying. It's that you go, I don't understand. Father, I seek you. And through that, I know he'll reveal. Cool. So there's some questions to grapple with. Um, let's get into it. And um, Any questions afterwards, just come and find me and we can have a chat.